We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you. What is it? Thursday afternoon. It's October 19th. And on today's show, we are going to preview the guards. Two weeks ago, Britt and I did the bigs, which was Kat, Rudy, Nas, Garza, and Leonard Miller. So you want to listen to that? That's back in the feed there somewhere. Uh, last week, we did the wings. Jane McDaniels, Kyle Anderson, Troy Brown Jr., Josh Minot, Matt Ryan, and Jalen Clark. And then today we're going to do the guards, which is Anthony Edwards, Mike Conley, Jordan McLaughlin, Shake Milton, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and Wendell Moore Jr. Uh, Britt, before we get, like, let's start with Ant, but like before we get into Ant, sure. um, I've been thinking, I think you were there at practice last week. I, I asked Finch, like, what do you want the identity of the guards to be. I don't know if you remember this answer, but he rattled for like a minute plus defense, 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 all these different iterations of defense from rebounding to point of attack, defense to rotations, all this sort of stuff. And frankly, I I wasn't anticipating that, you know, I, and I guess that's been a more global surprise to me through training camp is how dialed this team is on defense. I, I don't, I guess I don't totally look at this guard group and and they got some solid defenders in there, but I, I, you know, you got Jade McDaniels at another position. Who's one of your best defenders. Rudy Gobert, probably your best defender. I I found that interesting. What what do you, what do you take from that? That Finch with this guard position cares so much about defense. Well, I think it's, he's trying to lead them to a harder road, which is always what a coach needs to do Mm -hmm. in terms of emphasis. Um, I think if you look at this roster, they clearly have the capability of scoring a lot of points. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ant and Cat alone are, you know, two of the top dozen most explosive scores in the NBA. So, uh, and then, you know, uh, Mike Conley has been uh, somebody who has been able to lead, you know, potent offenses in his time. And, you know, you've got some other people, Nas Reed could score, uh, you know, Kyle Anderson can score. And yet they finished bottom 10 in offense and top 10, just barely, but top 10 in defense. But I also think 
that you're trying to, there's a negotiation that is an unspoken negotiation between Rudy Gobert and the Timberwolves, I think. Maybe it's just me, you know, <laughs> obsessing on this. I just think it's so important that Gobert is bought in in all the myriad ways he needs to be bought in. And I think if he thinks that the, the, the whole deal is about defense in some respects, which is right up his alley, then um, I think he'll be more amenable to being on board with all the things he's going to have to do to adjust. And I also think that if it was offensive uh, leaning into the fact that he's kind of being de-emphasized on offense this year would be kind of a slight to him. Right. So I don't think it's all political or pseudo psychological, but I do think that there's a part of it that Finch is emphasizing defense because first of all, there are some extreme upgrades. I mean, losing D'Angelo Russell and bringing in Mike Conley and Nikhil Alexander Walker is like getting two B plus to A minus defenders for one C minus defender. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an enormous upgrade. Right. And then um, on the other hand, if you look at the front court, having Cat there a lot and having Nas signed long term are a little bit of a downgrade defensively compared to probably mm-hmm. most of the people who fulfilled those slots, you know, during most of the season, you know, Kyle Anderson in particular. But um, so I think that emphasizing the guards and emphasizing defense in the guards is probably a good idea. Yeah. No, I, I like the Rudy take. I, I think that makes sense because I, the, the thing I really agree with from that is I, I do sense a de-emphasis on Rudy Gobert offensively. He is still a, max player on your team so if you're going to slide him into offensive an offensive role player role which is probably a good idea for this group absolutely um, you need to maximize him elsewhere and that that's even outside of kind of the political psychological stuff which i think that stuff's i mean that it's real in the nba i don't know if that specific thing is real but it's not like it wouldn't be the first time that that is something that's true uh, behind the scenes and an accommodation a coach makes uh, uh, accordingly. And yeah, you, you are just right to like, we do the Conley over Delo thing all the time. And frankly, like what, what surprised me about Mike is how good offensively he was because I know everybody was kind of hard on Delo or done with Delo at that time, but Delo was having a really good offensive year. Yes, he was. Mike didn't have a drop off. In offense, I mean, it was a different type of offense, but was right. also a very productive offensive player. Plus, the fact that he's just a more nuanced and you know physically capable, uh, I think, defender than than Dilo was. That's the that's the win, right? You you get that you get the cherry on top of the Sunday, and then you know Nikhil Alexander Walker is the sprinkles there too. Yeah, well, I mean, part of it is you constantly had to worry about Dilo on defense. As the Lakers are discovering, as many other teams have discovered, um, it is as the Hawks do with you know Trey Young or any of oh, those. Oh yeah, type absolutely. Of I mean, yeah. he's not an outlier, awful defender, but, but I would but say Mike isn't that, and Nikhil isn't that. Like, and and not only that, but if you don't have to worry about a matchup at one end of the court, yeah, 
that is an enormous positive. Yeah. And to lean into that a little bit, maybe set the example that, you know, you're talking to Ann as much as anybody if you're talking guards. And so sure. what does Ant need to do? Ant needs to pay attention on defense. That's all. I mean, Ant can play defense. It's We've seen it over and over again. Yeah. Can he pay attention on defense? Can he focus on defense to the extent that, uh, you know, it is going to be uh, something semi-reliable? Um, you know, I'm, when I'm thinking about doing my season preview, I'm thinking about uh, given my length restrictions, I'm going to think about, uh, you know, X factors. Uh, and, and one of my X factors is going to be um, Anthony Edwards' uh, sustained focus. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, that, again, I mean, so there's so many ways that Finch's comment mm -hmm. play into what you need from this team, how you need to motivate Rudy on the one hand and Ann on the other hand, two very types, different types of motivations. And yet that's that answer he gave kind of covers both bases. Right. Uh, let, I have that down in my notes uh, with Anthony Edwards too, the, the defensive element of the paying attention part of it. Let, let's jump into Ant. Sure. Uh, year four for Ant. He just turned 22 this summer, averaged 25, 6, and 4 last season, shot 37% from 3, 51% from 2. I looked at some of the more advanced numbers, graded out as an 84th percentile offensive player, according to estimated plus minus 87th percentile as a defensive player. Overall, that was 89th percentile as, as a player, which you kind of like start running through some of that, given that he played a bunch of minutes. According to those numbers, um, he generated the 30th most wins in the league yeah. last year. I was like, yeah, that's that's probably about right. Ant was and according to those numbers, he is a better defender than he is offense, which is ha ha. I, I mean, so 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 that's what that's what I you know I, I was thinking about it because I'm thinking about this through the context of like, all right, numbers say 30th best player in the league last year. I'm, I'm with that. That 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 sounds about right. And the thinking is this season, right? Ant making the leap. From 30th best player to 15, 15. That's what I wrote down too, you know, and, and my, my question is if to, or to make that leap, what are the areas in which Ant needs to, you know, make strides and, and step up. And this kind of sounds like a bad thing, but I made a pretty long list, you yeah, know, yeah. which actually is an opportunity of a lot of ways to kind of, trim some fat there to, to make that, that leap up there, but it's not a sexy one, but the first one I wrote down is being a better and more disciplined defender, because I do not think he was the 87th percentile. Not even last. close. Yeah. Not even close. Um, what you can say about Ant, and that you could say it about both ends of the ball, but you can say it more distinctively about the defense is that, um, he can rise to the occasion and give you something that very few players can give you. He can be a, a lockdown defender on a great offensive player. That is rare. Um, and I will say that lockdown defenders on great offensive players make it work maybe 45% of the time. That's still incredibly good, you sure. know? Um, but, he also 
is below average in the NBA among all the players in the NBA. If you're talking about peripheral vision and knowledge of when to rotate and knowledge of when you're going to run into a screen and knowledge of when to switch, how to switch, how to box out, all the things that go into defense. Mm -hmm. um, he simply fuzzes out sometimes. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Um, he makes a poor decision or he lets the game make the decision for him, which oftentimes means that he's at a disadvantage. And so um, well, you're, you're at the play. I think this is important to, to pin down here. You are of the mind that this is a bug of his defensive aptitude, not necessarily a feature, right? That these are things that could be removed over time. And, oh, and yeah. No, yeah. I mean, is that going to become uh, only what he is? It's possible if only... Defensively, yeah. If, if only it's because he doesn't have enough energy or he is satisfied internally with the level he's providing uh, and it's just another level away from like Steve Kerr reminding him he could be a better player and he never yeah. knew it before. I mean, maybe he needs to be reminded again at this level to become a better defender somehow. But um, I, I do think, I think he will improve if only because I think there'll be more meaningful games. I like that. Uh, and, and, and again, if Ann is challenged by the situation, whether it is, the size of the game or the caliber of the opponent, uh, you'll see him play better basketball. That's just 100%. who he is. And that I'd rather have that than the other way. I'd rather have that than a guy who shrinks from big moments and big challenges. And, you know, is great, gives you 40-point wins over the Pistons instead of losses. But I do think that there's no reason why Anthony Edwards can't be both what I chafe at a little bit is he's already assumed to be on his way to both by the national media who ignored him for the first two and a half years, embraced him so fully in the last half of the third year and the summer in the world basketball that suddenly it's the, the needle has gone the other way. And mm -hmm. the bottom line is we've seen this guy, you know, every step of the way and we know when he's been fabulous and why he's been fabulous a lot more than people who just see the highlights. Sure. Um, but I would say on average, if you grade out all defensive possessions, Ant right now is about a B minus defender. Yeah. I don't think, he, I don't think he's a C plus defender. I think he's, he's better than average, but not solidly good. And I think he can be a B plus slash A minus defender. I think he can be in like Paul George immediately after the injury territory. Sure. I don't know if he can ever be Paul George before the injury territory, but I think he can be very, very good as a defender. This might surprise you, but I think there's one area and a pretty big area where he's already an A defensively. Okay. And I'm, I've been hard on on ball for it's situational. It's an on ball in a situation where a screen isn't coming. There was a play against yeah. New York um, where, like, Julie, he's on Julius Randle. And it's, like, not really the corner. It's, like, right at the break, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, so it's kind of like that angle drive situation. You're not going to catch a screen there. Um, and it's just Julius Randle's like, all right, I got, like, 20 pounds on you and 
four inches. Like this seems like a profit situation for me to isolate. It's not like that ant, ant against those big wings. Like he can guard and will guard and will take the bump, move his Absolutely. feet. That is, he is an A at that, He's I think, already. That, which is precisely why Finch keeps on wanting him to draw fouls. Yes. Because, if, I mean, he could be Jimmy Butler-esque. That's what Butler does. Butler is very similar size. And, I mean, Butler's got two or three inches on him. But they're, you know, mm. the proportions. And Butler just incorporates his body right. um, a lot more in his game than Ant does. And I don't think Ant would suffer if he became just like Butler. But if he had a little bit more Butler in him, just in terms of coaxing fouls, I mean, yeah. Ant, Ant's, Ant's hesitations are often figuring things out rather than um, conning people into committing mm -hmm. in a way that they don't want to commit. Sure. And, and if he can change that, if he can become a little shrewder, uh, more conniving, um, then I think he can draw fouls. And the reason is because he's got the strength to take the contact yeah. and make it look good. I mean, you need to get hit to get the whistle. Right. And if you're inviting the hit and then going into the hit, you're going to get the whistle. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, he, it's the, it's the physicality, right? Obviously, right, exactly. you know, we don't, you don't need to have watched every Anthony Edwards game to, to, to know that element of it, but right. you might, if you don't watch Anthony Edwards all the time, you might like presuppose that he's already really, really tapping into that physicality and athleticism when in many ways, there's a there's a lot more you know to to get a to and I more. I think it does you know start on the defensive side of the floor there where he can he can use it in those situations. What I also wrote down uh, for Ant and and what it you know what it takes to make this leap or whatever is remain a great playmaker for his teammates. I don't think people fully understand that Ant is already a very good playmaker. He. What he is not good at in playmaking is throwing the ball to Rudy, which uh -huh. right. makes distorts, you know, and I just talk to people like around the league and other sort of things. And they, they you know, Ant naturally comes up. I so rarely hear people talking about him as a playmaker and the amount of clean shots he generates his teammates, particularly, you know, on the perimeter in the attention he gets and, and kicks out in that sort of way. I mean, he had really, really good, like, a really good assist rate last season. Like the, the numbers back this up too. We just remember the flashbulb moments of when it looked so bad, which was pretty much every time he threw to Rudy, the, the ball last year, I think he only had 21 or maybe it's 23 assists and uh, to Rudy last season. I think that a lot of this has to do with the fact that Ant makes the basic play. It's a smart play. He doesn't make fancy mm -hmm. passes. I mean, the, the fanciest stuff Ant will do is skip passes. You know, occasionally. I love those, pass. though. Yeah. No, those are great. But, I mean, they're still. The, 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 class, the classic Ant assist is either a drive and kick or a drive and, like, a interior bounce pass to the nail or something. Like, like a drop-off. Yeah, exactly. Not a, a, not a lot. A drop-off. Drop right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and And so it's. So I think that, like that ties into me with uh, a, a real area for growth is ant in that in-between range, I call it, right? The 
the floater range, the decision-making getting downhill to the rim, the, the throwing the lob to Rudy or actually taking the floater himself. And that's what Finch thinks he needs the most work on. And he does. He yeah. does. That, no. that, I mean, that's not that and getting rid of the mid range. Finch well, wants him, you know, getting rid of, you know, but th that's the thing is he looks like a great mid range player because yeah, there's some incredible mid range shots that he takes, but he, you know, he shot worse from the mid range than he has from three in every year of his career. Yes. I did know that. that it's just a, I think that's a great stat, and I'm glad you brought it up. It was when I was doing the Finch interview and I was looking at things, that was one of the things I noticed. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is because he thinks he gets fouled, and then he kind of, you know, I mean, there's a part of him that just says, all right, I got fouled, you know. And um, he doesn't have a good sense, like Cat, of when he's really getting fouled and when he isn't. Right. No, he thinks he's getting fouled more than he is, and I think to some extent that deters from from his contact on mid range. Mm -hmm. And then there are also times when, um, you know, it, like any young kid who's got a phenomenal amount of talent, he sometimes he gets wound up in mano a mano, sure. uh, you know, and and will try a shot that's just slightly beyond his his. Mm -hmm capability at that particular time um and, and there's always a time and a place for those right like yeah like the end of the second uh <laughs> first half in that game where he took yeah. on four players and did that yeah. dipsy doodle turnaround banker i mean god damn <laughs> i mean yeah that's what i'm saying it's 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 he can do it but it is is it boom a normal part of his capability no it just again it he, he enjoyed that challenge uh he was going to strut that time. And I got to tell you, there are times when when Ant says, I'm going to strut, where I'm endorsing it because he's <laughs> actually better yeah. than if he's just saying, all right, do I get my teammates involved now or do I take the shot or, you know. We uh, just like when the struts are uh, step back successful. threes or like pull up three, you know, <laughs> right, like right, right. the the shots that go in more often, <laughs> you know, like right. strut at the things that you do best because all of them, you know, he's. There's no, he's got no, uh, he's got no range of his game that Finch or anybody's going to try and pull away from him completely. Right. It's let's get better at the ones that you've historically been worst at, um, which is the mid range and is the lack of a floater. I mean, he really doesn't have one or hasn't, right. Right. um, through the first three years. So that the last thing I had down for him in like making that 30th best player to 15th best player leap is fitting into the plan, uh, the double bigs and a more, structured offense let that finding a way to have that style of play empower him mm -hmm. rather than uh hold him back or keep him in neutral or something uh and i think that's uh that's going to be the greatest test is of 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 how big this leap is how much he improves the season is how much he figures out how to play within the context of this team that is going to play that way given the fact that they have carl anthony towns and rudy gobert yeah, and this is going to be betraying my bias again, I think. But that uh, that a lot, a lot of that has to do with trust. A lot of that has to do with do they deliver when he when he's in the system, when he is enabling his teammates. Mm. Does that enabling produce points? You know, I don't think it's a D'Lo situation where D'Lo just checked out. You know, yeah. because it wasn't working out, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think. Um, 
if people, you know, if Rudy's going to fumble the ball or if, uh, you know, Nas is going to travel or if Cat is going to turn down a wide open shot for a third pass, then, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there are ways in which even if Ann is being cooperative, um, if the team lets him down in that cooperation, um, again, I am still not 100% convinced that everybody in that locker room says this is Ant's team. Yeah. Uh, I don't think so either. <laughs> well, I mean, I, and that's a problem. I mean, I know that all these people, it's like uh, when KG said what he said, you know, who it doesn't, it isn't whose team it is. Everybody gets together. Kumbaya. And I mean, yeah, yeah. I saw you play KG. Come on, man. You wanted to be the alpha and you were the alpha. It just so happened that your things to do were different. Sure. But if you think that KG wasn't uh, demanding that everybody do certain things and practice a certain way and demanding that people go a certain way on the court. Um, How old was KG when he started doing that? I mean, you covered him back then. Uh, probably 23, 24. So, you know, three, three or four years, probably third or fourth year in the league. I think he came in at 19. Yeah. So, don't that would be his ants 22. And it's his yeah, fifth year. So, there you go. So, right. I mean, that that's why, like, I think this can still become ants team in the literal sense that you're talking about, or the way right. that so many other people do without it being this season, because I, I don't feel like they are aiming for it to be that because they're the accommodations of the nature of the other players just require a more egalitarian sort of setup. I, I think that's what it's going to feel like. I mean, Ant's going to still be like the dude, but it, it, it doesn't, it's not going to feel like the Dallas Mavericks and that those are Lucas team or the Rockets right. when right. there's Harden's right. team or whatever. Right. Not, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it is. And I don't, I don't think that's the end of the world. Uh, it's probably got to get there eventually but it, it, that's always such a foofy kind of topic no i understand what you're saying i think that the reason i bring it up is because you've got a guy with a gift mm -hmm. and his gift is he rises to the occasion we see it over and over again and it has not produced anything tangible other than playoff appearances thus far and not even a medal in the Gold World Cup, by the way. Um, so it still is more to the eye test than it is toward the silver and gold of uh, trophies and medals. But um, Ant seems like the kind of guy that is going to mature into being somebody that you talk about a lot and game plan for first and second sure. in that opposing locker room. And there isn't anybody else on the roster that is that way. And and that's maybe the distinction, right? I like the first and second thing. Like, I think Ant is what you game plan for first. And on this roster, what you game plan for second is not Ant, it's Cat and Rudy. And you can frame that either way. Like, you can frame right, that right. As, a, as, a, as a good thing, too. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And, and 
it is a, a passive aggressive argument we're having here. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that we both generally see the other person's point of view and inevitably think that uh, something is going to happen. I am just concerned that um, um, he's such a good teammate. He is such a young, mature guy. And we just got through detailing all the ways he can improve, and all that is granted. But um, he's already, aside from Mike Conley and perhaps Kyle Anderson, the most adult player in that locker room. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, that in and of itself is a passive aggressive compliment. <laughs> so let's uh, all right, but let's let's move on to Mike Conley. Sure. Um, you're 17 for Mike Conley, who just turned 36 last week, I believe. Yep. Uh, with the Wolves, averaged 14 points, three boards, and five assists in 24 games for the Wolves. Shot 42 percent from three, 52 percent from two. Uh, those same advanced numbers loved him in 92nd percentile on offense last year between Minnesota and Utah together, actually 70th percentile on defense, which was overall a 91st percentile uh, player. I think Mike's the type of guy who you know fits into those metrics a little more snugly that that's there suggests that he's better than ant. Um, you know, like, so th these are, these are imperfect things, right? Right. right. But, what I did want to note about those advanced numbers and particularly the, the offensive one that has him top 10th percentile right. um, in the NBA is that is a feature and not a bug. Uh, that was has been true through the Utah days, through the Memphis days, that he has been an extremely efficient producer um, for, for the entirety of his career and is at least last season maintained that after coming into uh, a, a new setting and the ultimate question with him is how much of that is bankable, you know, now at, at, at 36 years old. I mean, I'm, there's a natural hesitation being that he's 36, but given the fact that he's in the context that he's 36, I'm still pretty confident in his ability to, to be able to maintain something very close to what he's been the past few years barring some sort of injury what how realistic is it that that mike can maintain this this level of play i think it's pretty realistic i, I want to begin all my comments first of all by saying that 
Do you remember when we were sitting there on opening night last year and I said, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Britt literally tells me, Mike Conley like falls down to the corner right in front of us. And Brit, he Brit was playing so badly. He goes, that dude is washed. <laughs> that dude is washed. I did. I, and I, I would have defended that argument. Uh, I mean, I looked for ways he was washed the rest of the game, and I found a lot of ammunition for it. You, uh, in fact, I may have even mentioned it the next day or whatever. You know, yeah, you but it was like it. it was just uh, it was stunning to me that yeah. not, not I wasn't surprised because I hadn't watched a lot of Mike Conley lately. You know, he'd gone to Utah, which is kind and of it was a, like the third game of the hole. season. Yeah. It might have even been like the second game of the season. I think so. Yeah, it was that Utah game. It yeah. was like it was, mm-hmm. but. He just looked bad. He looked slow. He looked tentative. He kind of looked like he did uh, his first game or two when he yeah. came over, you know? Sure. So maybe he's just somebody who needs a little, you know, a time to get, you know, acclimated again. NBA or a season. role. I mean, according to him, when yeah. we talked to him, is like a role that empowers him. He was getting shoved into that corner spot up guy at the yeah. end his later days um, in Utah. And I think he kind of presumed once he got here, that that was what he was going to be asked to do in Minnesota. And they said, no, like our, right. our point guard in this team was D'Angelo Russell. Right. We need you to play offense like D'Angelo Russell. I mean, in your own way. And once that clicked in Mike's head after, I think it was like actually like four or five games, right. everything changed. And, and, and not just for him and his own production, but the group, I mean, that, it was well, that clicked into place. Then Cat gets back, and the bigs click into place, and we have that one week where we're like, "Look out, Wolves got a squad." Um, but it wasn't just Cat being back and the bigs working. It was Mike in conjunction absolutely. with all that. It is so rare to see somebody with a malleable ego, somebody whose ego will adjust according to the situation. Yeah, I mean, Mike Conley thought all right, I'm here as a role player in a certain way. And he didn't say, what the hell? I mean, I'm Mike Conley. Why am am I yet again on another team? Or why why shouldn't I expect these people to see what Utah didn't see? It's like he was saying, what do they want from me? I'm going to come in expecting that what they want from me is what Utah wanted from me. And that's, where my ego resides right now. That's where I am not going to chafe. When was the last time Mike Conley, you know, got, you know, got resistance, you know, got, got this whole idea, hey, we need to do this instead of this. Or um, he is somebody who is, I think his self-identity is I will take the situation presented to me and do the best I can with it. And what's phenomenal about him is he can almost always greatly improve a situation, apparently after playing a game or two. But essentially, he is... I have an elite cost-benefit analysis guy. I just have (laughs) never, I've never had a player who I just said to myself, man, if you see this guy play every day, because I watch a lot of league pass, and, you know, I mean, I thought I knew Mike Conley. Mm -hmm. um, And his value, unless he, you know, 
just pulled some new rabbits out of his hat, which I doubt. I mean, he he was just, first of all, he, he was the best pick and roll ball handler in terms of points per play of anybody in the NBA when he came over here. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, he there isn't a player in the NBA who was more efficient handling the ball in a pick and roll situation and shooting than, than Mike Conley. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, partly part of that was sort of like pick and roll, high pick and roll with Rudy step back three or whatever. You know what yeah, I mean? It was like 40, he hit a lot of threes. Yeah. Remember we looked that up in the media room. It was like yeah. 40 some percent on 42% on percent threes. On threes or something on a pick and roll was a ball handler. I mean, just like it's just Steph. <laughs> like, I mean, and, Steph's maybe a little higher than that, but yeah. It, it is uh, the guy. It was such a brilliant trade. Uh, I thought it was a good trade at the time. I totally undervalued that trade. Mm -hmm. um, and actually, uh, are we almost done on Mike? Because I got something I want to do. I want to have a little thing. Yeah. Uh, right. I, actually, can I say can I say one more thing about yeah, yeah, Mike? Yeah, I, yeah, I just wanted almost. to note this for for people who you know aren't a league past person you know maybe you know 90 percent of the mike conley that you've ever watched was those 24 games last season one thing i would put onto people's radars is the floater is hmm. and that's that's not like a deep cut or anything but the floater right is a, yeah but, well, <laughs> that's what's interesting about it too he's a little ambidextrous there but that will be a real weapon this year. he just missed a bunch of them right when he got here yeah last yeah. season I, I was looking it up today like he, only he was shot 0 like, for 6 in like a second game. Here. I know. And so you, you look at the numbers of that, that floater range, and he was like 40%, which isn't very – it's better than that, but like uh, not not very good. Right. Historically, that's not been the case. I went through it today. Previous five seasons, like 45% um, in, in that range. And that is super important, um, particularly playing with Rudy Gobert, because mm -hmm. there are these times where in pick and roll, the defense – is going to stick to the big and a lot with Rudy, right? And you get kind of caught in that in between area, and a lot of guard, a lot of good guards are kind of garbage once it gets to right, there. Right. And this isn't to say Tyus Jones is garbage, but I was thinking about this example because he actually totally changed us about his game in Memphis. We, I, I wonder if you remember this. Maybe it was me and Jace would joke about this. Like the reason Tyus Jones, when he's on the Wolves, like led the league in assist to turnover ratio was because he'd get into the middle of the floor and, like, nobody to pass to it. He, that he would just take, like, he'd be like, rather than making this really hard pass that might get right. picked off, I'm right. just going to take this floater that's probably not going to go in. Right. And then it just counts as a missed shot and not a, right. and not right. a turnover. What made Tyus so much better in Memphis is he became, like, a high 40% floater guy mm. with, the, with the Grizzlies. And that, by having that in your bag, your turnovers go down. You're you're more of a weapon for that lob threat to the big because they right. got to come up on you. Like Tyus Jones became Mike Conley. Like right. that's what he became in Memphis in, in that element of the game. And I think Mike Conley gets back to that and it sounds kind of in the weeds, but within the context of what we know Mike's job is, which is so much of like, yeah, Rudy's going to be a role player this year, but Mike, we need you to be like the one that keeps him in the mix here too. Right. And, uh, to have that in his game is part of the reason why I think they were such a great pick and roll combination um, in Utah in, in those years. And I think that, I think we see that, that comeback this, 
this season. That, it's, it's hard to take any of Mike's numbers and be like, they're going to be better than they were last year. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that's one. I found, yeah, I, 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 I found one there. Yeah, uh, that's all I got on Conley. Give me your next thing. Okay. Well, it was just an exercise. I was just thinking about, you know, you, I knew we were going to talk about the guards today. And I just thought to myself, where does the Wolves backcourt rank in the NBA? And I, it, it's between top five and top ten. Do you have a? I mean, you have. I do. You didn't, I, you I didn't prep me for this. So yeah. Yeah. No. 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 I didn't prep you. I mean, I, I'll give you the ones that I think are no-brainers that they're worse, and there aren't that many. Uh, Drew Holiday and Jalen Brown in Boston, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, Booker and Beal in Phoenix, obviously. Um, okay. Then. Um, some would say Luca and Kyrie, obviously, but I don't know. I mean, that's one you know. I could, I could. I'm, well, let, I'm, we'll, we'll do a I'm, more objective. Like, yeah, let's put that I'm, there. I'm, that, I'm, I'm conceding that. Uh, I would even, I would concede the ones. I think that even without Jaw, Marcus Smart and Desmond Bain, that's a really interesting place. I gave the Memphis the, the edge on that, and I also SGA and Giddy. That's a real interesting. I think SGA is better than Ant right now. Giddy and Conley, I think, is an interesting argument. You know, yeah. be a weird uh, argument. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and yeah. that's what makes it so weird. So yeah. I just mentioned Boston, Memphis, OKC, Phoenix, and Dallas, and you could throw Garland and Donovan Mitchell maybe into Cleveland. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. and then the other one where I put the arrow upward, but I could be talked out of it, is Chris Paul and Steph Curry. In Golden State. Yeah. Uh, right. What about uh, just I, I I get you were just doing the locks there. Just again off the top of my yeah. head. Yeah. Uh, Deer and Fox and Kevin Herter. Yeah, that was one on my question marks. I, I put have, I put Ant and Conley above it, but I'm just I'm just. I have four question marks. I think the question okay. marks are really interesting, and and we can also talk about the the locks that I don't necessarily agree are locks. So that was like, that was seven that you had as. Boston, Memphis, OKC, Phoenix, uh, Dallas, and then Cleveland and Golden State. I think those are debatable, quite okay. frankly. And I think that uh, Fox and Herder is debatable. I think Maxi and Harden is debatable in Philly. Yeah, that's talk about weird. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and Westbrook and Paul George, I think that's debatable on the Clippers. And then the last one I think is debatable is Halliburton and Bruce Brown in Indiana. Yeah, I I think I think Ant and uh, Ant and Conley deserve to be. Or my opinion would be pretty clearly I would put Ant and Conley above Fox and Herder, above Harden and Maxi, above Westbrook and PG, above Halliburton and Brown. I would take Curry and Chris Paul, though. Okay, all right. I, I, and I what about Kyrie and Luke? And what about uh, Garland well, and Donovan Mitchell? The Garland and Donovan Mitchell one is probably the the closest one in in, in my head. Again, not with having a ton of time to think about this. The, the re- I'll say the reason I'm taking Golden State for sure, and the reason I'm taking Dallas for sure is Curry and Luca. I I think are like I I think Luca's going to win MVP this year. Like, I, uh-huh. I I mean that, that's that's where my mind right, is right. at with where Luca is at in his career. Well, so. You understand we're going both ways though. I mean Luca's a black hole on defense. Yeah. No, I okay. do. Okay. I, I I still think I'm going to give Luca and Kyrie and CP and Curry that. But 
I could be convinced over Garland and Mitchell, which that's that's a high bar too. That's yes, not it is. like that's exactly not, well. That's, that's what I mean. When I, I I thought originally they're easily top ten, and it, it turns out that I have convinced myself they are top ten. Right. But I thought you know after a while I was thinking they might be top five, and then I mm-hmm. I found five that I really if somebody yeah. put put me to the wall. I would agree there are five better. Also, a uh, Schroeder and um, no, come on. No, well, Toronto. I mean, they got Scotty, Scotty Barnes, and no, yeah, no, uh, no, no, yeah, no, no. I know. Um, the the other one I would take over, or I would have Ant and Conley over is over Smart and Bain. Mm. Um, but if you like, if you put John Bain, if in you there. if you if you weave in fifty five games of Jaw into that, then okay, then we can then you well, can, and if you're talking three headed monsters. You know, if you threw Clay into the Paul yeah. and Curry because he he's not a small forward, he bumps down. Mm-hmm. Or you threw Bain, Ja, and um, Smart, who are probably going to play a lot when everybody's healthy mm-hmm. together, um, because Bain can switch. I mean, uh, Smart can switch one through four. You want him on defense, even when you have two quote yeah. unquote smalls on the floor. Um, so, I mean, if you. It's it's another interesting argument if you're talking point guard trios because you know what does that mean? Do you kick you know Jade McDaniels down to the three or to have Nobby the three or you know again it does hurt the Wolves' case though. I think the top two is the bigger argument simply because and the stronger argument for the yeah, Wolves. Right, like right. I could get as high as the only four I'm for sure for sure taking over the Wolves is Boston, mm-hmm. Phoenix, Dallas, and Golden State for me personally. Okay. I think and Golden's then, uh, OKC is – I mean, SGA is in that conversation you're talking about. He's a I, top – I think he's a top 12 player. Yeah, and I think I would put Steph and Luca in the top half of the top 12, top six guys. Yeah. Or if, I, you're I, ask, I, if you're asking me who is going to play better this year, Steph Curry or SGA – if you want one guy on your roster for the entire year, I think that's a fascinating conversation. I'm taking Curry. Yeah. All right. I I think that and that's no that's no SGA shit. You don't no, no, I know, I know, I know. I just first of all, I'm not sure his health will, will permit it. Secondly, yeah, I do think that his defense is sporadic. And I think that uh, he's he's a great rebounder. Curry. I'll give him that. Curry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and let's face it, nobody spaces the floor like him. You have a great argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just saying it's an interesting argument. And no. look at you bringing topics to the pod. <laughs> I know. First time ever, I think. <laughs> Actually, oh, I like there was that. a time where I compared Ann and uh, Wiggins first yeah. first two years in the league. <laughs> I don't remember that. Is that the same episode? Where you can you count them on one hand, you know? That might have been the episode where you said, I'd rather have McDaniels for the rest of his career. No, no, no. That was a different episode. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, uh, they are hot topics, but they're not embarrassing topics to me. No, you know, I mean, I, I just like you know, I mean, the one that everybody thinks I'm going to be embarrassed on this year is I think OKC is going to be better than Phoenix. You know, they do, and and I thought that was a lot more clear cut before they got Nurkic and then those two wings that give them some depth, um, mm. and and now a little bit of stubbornness that I'm going to hold to it, but I think it's still very, very close. And I'm, I'm going to guess that OKC 
uh, wins one or two more games than Phoenix. I'm, I'm going to grab a quick ad break here, and it's an ad for us or for uh, for the podcast. Two things. Um, if you are interested uh, in being an advertiser on the show this season, um, we normally get a lot of inquiries like right at this time of year, and it's like, we're busy. So if, if you have... Uh, if you are interested uh, in working with us for uh, an advertising an advertising role, reach out to Dane Moore Productions at gmail.com. Dane Moore Productions uh, at gmail.com. It's in the show notes if you want to look this up. Uh, that's one. And then number two, uh, if any of you, I, I get a lot of people that reach out and be like, oh, I want to support the pod, but I, you know, I don't live in Minnesota. I can't patronize sponsor X. Uh, if you want to directly... Uh, contribute to the show just kind of helps us with operating and expenses that sort of thing with YouTube and some more of the stuff that we're doing. You can go to uh, patreon.com slash Dane Moore MBA. Again, that just helps us be able to, some of this stuff costs money traveling uh, to games and and that sort of deal uh, costs the money. It's all hopefully stuff. Uh, I think you can feel confident that, that money is only going to go to enhancing uh, the, the product that we're doing. So that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Dane Moore MBA. Also, uh, again, in the show notes, uh, both the email address and the link to the Patreon there. All right, Brett, Shake Milton. Uh, year six for Shake. He just turned 27. Um, obviously, his first season not on the Sixers. He averaged eight points, three boards, and three assists last year in 20 minutes, 21 minutes per game. Shot 52% from two-point range, which Seems like just about every single one of these guards shot exactly 52% from two-point range. And Shake shot 38% from three, uh, albeit I always like to mention he was not a high-volume uh, three-point shooter. I like his shot, though. Content. His yeah. shot looks like a – I mean, uh, and it looks oh, like he, he can hit the corner. They're hammering through. that with him. They're, I mean, that, that like, it's a, it's a rewind. I mean, that was just a different system, different style of play um, in Philly. He played the, he played the James Harden role, man. Like going back and, and watching it, like, you know, you go to like basketball reference, you do game score, whatever. Some game, I watched a couple of his full games that he really produced. They were games that Harden didn't play in and they let Shake do it. Like it, that, that was the role uh, that, that he played in here. I think that overlaps some with Ant, right? Like he can be mm -hmm. the, the second unit or the, right. you know, if Ant rolls an ankle or whatever and, you know, someone steps in, I think. Uh, Shake could do that in the way that he did uh, for Harden last season, but they want him to be more than that. That that's all Philly ever really right. asked him to be, um, and never really anything consistently to be a consistent contributor in a meaningful way to this rotation. He's got to he's got to be more right, and uh, and one way he can be more, one way he can get on the floor with Ant or with Conley or whatever it might be is to be a more, uh, what, what is that? A more willing three point shooter, uh -huh, right? right? He's kind of right. like, a yeah, I'm going to take it. Some, I'm not, I'm not, not a shooter. Like he's right. Right. But he was more looking to get downhill uh, for, at least from what I've watched of him. So I think that's sort of a, a pivot point on him. But the main thing is like, be a playmaker. It's really like, that's his game is, the bench version of one of those big guards who can get to the bucket and can, you know, distribute some to his teammates. Uh, I, we've, we've heard it from Tim Connolly. We've heard it from Chris Finch. 
they were very drawn to shake Milton this summer. Finch is very excited about having that type of role player um, on this team. Why do you think they feel that way or how do you feel they want to fold shake Milton into this thing? Well, one, uh, two things that I've heard from them. One was a surprise to me and one was very much expected. Um, they want to be more physical and that dude is a rock. I mean, he is, he's a big dude. If, if he plays the point, uh, he is, uh, he's like a six, five shortstop. You know what I mean? He's a six, five point guard, which and he is, has a seven, one wingspan. Yeah. And so you have a situation where, um, fighting through screens or even trying to set a screen on the guy. And some people forget that, you know, NBA players play 82 games a season and they, or is it 81? 81 games a season, whatever it is. Well, they do not play 81 games, man. Come on. <laughs> you know how many games there are in a season? It's 82. You're thinking, I don't know, is that half a baseball? It's 82. Yes. Could be, could be. Anyway, bottom line is you get run into and run into people a lot. And it's just part of the game. Everybody accepts it, so on and so forth. But I think a dirty little secret among players, just by the way I watch players play, is that there are times when running into somebody or getting run into is harder to do than it is at other times. Maybe it's a yep. you know cold outside or a bad flight or you're playing more minutes than you used to, or you or you played yesterday and your shoulder hurts or, from that other running into in like three <laughs> different physical teams in a row or whatever. But the Wolves, on occasion, just weren't physically rugged enough. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's um, what Pitch is talking about, right? When the identity and we talk about all defense, exactly. defense, and that's yeah. what I'm saying about that aspect of why they got them isn't a surprise. If you want to get more physical on the perimeter and not play with just a bunch of uh, enforcers, you know, then Shake Milton is a really nice guy to have on that team. You know, he's a big rangy dude who can do a lot of skill things, but he can also just, uh, you know, he can, if you're going to set a screen and he's chasing the ball handler out on the perimeter, yeah. you better bet, you know, you're going to get hit, you know, and, and, even if it's not enough of a hit to warrant him getting a foul, he's big enough that's going to rattle you a little bit. So it's going to be something where, yeah, you've done your job setting a screen on Shake Milton, but you're also not going to like it. And so that's part of physical basketball. And that's, you know, you can tell the teams. I mean, it was obviously more prominent in the Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy era, where, you know, you had people just beating each other up on, you know, but. I think that the physicality, obviously, just to boil it back down to one word, that's one reason they got him. And then the other is Finch in the interview went out of it. I mean, apropos of nothing, brought him up first time he was brought up in the conversation was I think that he can play really well with Rudy and and unlock Rudy in certain ways. And I'm going, you know, whoa, what? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I have no idea why. I mean, I'm still not totally clued in as to why maybe we'll figure it out as the season goes on but he's i think part of it is you know having watched film of him playing with Embiid, right right and and like a lot i mean Embiid plays from the mid-range so much like even in right. he's like a pick and 
pop into mid-range up yeah. and or kind of slow roll into that area. If he goes to the yeah. rim, it's because he's got the ball in his hands. He doesn't and, usually camp down there like Rudy mm-hmm. does. Yeah, I mean, but but I think obviously situationally, right, that happened last year where Shake found Embiid underneath the basket, and that was really productive. I not to put words in Chris Finch's mouth, but if you're asking right. the question, right. I think that's you know some of what it is, and and kind of having the size and the length to pass late, right? Like Kyle Anderson. Passing late is a huge. Yeah. I mean, Finch talks about passing late as being an important thing for Gobert because again, you're trying to negotiate these things with Gobert. Um, If he does all the work and then doesn't get rewarded and he is open. And one of the reasons he's not getting rewarded is because you don't know when to pull the trigger. Like Mike Conley does, like Kyle Anderson does. Well, he's saying like Shake Milton does, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, that would be my, but I haven't seen a lot of it. But then again, you know, they haven't played all together that much on the court yet. Well, it, it I really do think size and length is the thing that allows you to pass late. Jordan uh-huh. McLaughlin is a pass early guy. That's why he works really well with a fast, hard rolling big in, in Nas right. Reed. Right. Jim X 5'10", and he, you know, the, he can't pass late if he gets right. down there. Um, and that's, you know, that's the, the difference. That's why they, Mike Conley has kind of figured out it. He said it took him a year how to do that mm-hmm. uh, with Rudy. Kyle gets that another pseudo point guard on this team. Right. Uh, Shake does. Nine, right. And, and, and Nikhil kind of does too. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and it's also in the late, it's the drop off last minute uh, to Rudy. Maybe that's in part a product of those two having played together uh, in Utah uh, some as well, but theoretically shake fits into that, which on top of his individual scoring and playmaking, it, maybe there is some playmaking for, uh, for Rudy though. I'm, I'm wondering how that's going to work rotationally that those two will I know exactly be on the floor much, but you know, who knows, right? The whole roster is healthy or other than Jaden. I don't know what's going on there. Well, but, I just like, know yeah. that, uh, when I did the Finch interview last year, he went out of his way to talk about Kyle Anderson and he's how important Carl Anderson was going to be. And there wasn't quite the same amount of ardor this time, but there was a, hmm. I am, I am very confident that Shake Milton will not be out of the rotation. If they're playing eight guys, he will be one of the guys playing. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, it, nine, I think eight, even, I wow. think that, I think that, you know, I think he's one of those guys that um, I actually feel like they may have as much confidence or more confidence in him running an offense as Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Oh, yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And that's, you know, I mean, I would not have thought that going into this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think that I like that. I mean, Nikhil is a little bit more of a risk taker mm-hmm. on, on offense. Um, and I actually think you know, I still would probably prefer if I'm having a you know a point guard, point guard, sure. and I have my choices, Shaker, Nikhil. I would probably still go with Nikhil, but um, Finch has an idea that he thinks that. I mean, he's excited about this, and if we're looking past this year, you know, there's going to be a Kyle Anderson role if Kyle sure. Anderson doesn't get resigned, and if he gets resigned, it'll be a kind of a surprise at this point. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I think that uh Shake Milton's gotta feel really good about 
signing this contract because I mm -hmm. think he's with it, an organization that wants to develop him and he's playing, you know, he probably got market rate, I think, for, you know, I don't think yeah. any team is going to pay him more than they got. He got paid. But I also think he could he could earn every penny. Yeah, it's a, it's a team kind of like in a weird way, similar to Mike Conley when we were talking about once I got him last year. It's a team right. that we think wants to empower the right. player to do the most uh, of, of their things. I think that's how they feel about Shake. Uh, let's quickly hit on uh, J-Mac and Wendell Moore Jr. Uh, J-Mac, year five for him, 27 years old, three points, one board, three assists, and 16 minutes per game uh, last season, 55% from two, 31% from three. Obviously, uh, a season derailed uh, by a calf injury and then derailed again by a calf re-injury. Uh, he is still, though, the only true point guard on this roster outside of uh, Mike Conley. Obviously, Tim Conley, Tim Conley, since he's been here, has made roster adjustments. So J-Mac isn't the only backup point guard right. option uh, on this team yet. I'm kind of surprised by the vibe out of camp how j-mac feels like he is at least in that fringe of the rotation group like he he wasn't playing against maccabi right you know, that's the right other night like he is he is in that the way i wrote it down here is just above troy brown jr and just below shake milton in the pecking order which i think is 10th um in, in the pecking order of this team not an insignificant role uh but I was sitting there this morning, like, like I don't even know what I think about J Mac for this year. Like, what is it going to look like between coming off of injury and kind of being confused of what player he was last year versus like the good player he was a couple of years ago when they're playing a completely different style of play? I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what my expectations are for Jordan McLaughlin uh, this season. Where are you at on him? I think that. I can't imagine a player as diametrically opposed in terms of pace to go bear than Jordan McLaughlin. Oh. You know, I mean, I just think that I think he's, he's a play with him. He'll never. He's play. a hair on fire guy, and I love. I mean, you know, that's the way I would love to see this team play. I like, you know, fly around at both ends of the court. McLaughlin is great at filling passing lanes, anticipating, poke checking. All the things that you do when everybody's amped. If your teammates are amped, if if you get a poke check steal and everybody is set in a drop coverage, yeah. more likely than not, a teammate is going to go, the, an opponent's opposing teammate is going to go get that ball. Mm -hmm. Or if you um, are running a secondary fast break, um, you're not going to have guys on either side of you as you're flying down the court. Uh, and therefore, you know, you're going to have somebody challenging your, your pull up and you're not going to pull up. It's just, I don't think the circumstances fit his style nearly as well as they did a year or two ago. And I am legitimately curious. I was a guy who uh, mocked people who liked him on Twitter before I had seen only a couple of games of his and had to eat crow because he was a lot better than that and uh, was clearly wrong and then got so involved. I loved him. You know, I loved him. And, and, and so involved. What, what I felt like is that 
can he be the net rating whisperer that he was previously? Good things used to always happen when he was on the court. And maybe the calf injury um, made him like a wounded animal out there. And everybody thought, now we can take that son of a bitch off the dribble even more. But they were taking him off the dribble last year. And they were leaving him open for shots. And he got to the point where he was always a pass-first guy. And he realized that he needed to hit some shots to rebalance that equation. And I think that messed with his head a little bit. Um, When LeBron picked him up in the play-in game and just (laughs) threw his shot like three times in the third. Yeah, that would mess with my head. (laughs) I mean, that was actually – that was the nadir. It wasn't just that game. He was driving into coverage, and nobody was – you know, I mean – they were casually blocking his shots mm-hmm. all over the place. And yeah. um, so which is it? You know, I mean, I've yo-yoed on the guy and uh, now I'm kind of in a suspended animation. That's what uh, I'm at too. Slightly uh, on, I, I feel like, um, I feel like I want to see Shake Milton and Nikhil Alexander-Walker run the point capably so that it's a moot point with J-Mac. Mm-hmm. Not anything against J-Mac. I'm just thinking well, that'd be best if, you, if, if yeah. you can keep that size and you can keep that unity uh, and, you know, let that guy go to Sacramento and become a De'Aaron Fox backup. And right. then, you know, I mean, with that team or something like that, there are ways in sure. which J-Mac – could become the goods again for a team. It just needs to be in the hair on fire type role. And that, that's I, the one I think yeah. I just love to watch him play that way. I mean, yeah. he was with, think about him and Prince and Nas and Ant and you know the Iowa Ants. And essentially they would fly around. Jalen Noel. I mean, everybody had fun and they went on some of the 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 most euphoric runs. Mm-hmm. I've seen out of Timberwolves basketball in the last decade. You know, it's just wonderful, <laughs> yeah. wonderful play. I know what you mean, but some people are like, "What?" <laughs> uh, um, well, they need to they need to go to the more amateur uh, Wolves yeah. podcast. <laughs> um, I, the the thing I'm I want to like when I think of Jordan McLaughlin is there's going to be a time again with injuries this season where the rotation just has to shift, right? And, and I think the rotation, and this could be a number of different guys are hurt, and it just shifts the way you have to play to the point where you have a second unit that is running and going and playing that style of play, you know, probably with Nas as a main piece and that, maybe Ant, you know, filtering into that, that second unit. And can, like, that, that might determine how good J-Max season is. For those exactly three right. weeks... Can you can you deliver that which you were two seasons ago with Torian Prince and Nas Reed and Jalen Noel and Anthony Edwards and that that type of group? Can you find that again when this team needs it? Um, if he can do that, well worth his value life. skyrockets. His yeah. value skyrockets. Well worth two point four million dollars or uh, whatever. And keep him around. I mean, you know that. I mean, I like the guy. I think he's. I've just seen the highs and the lows, and I'm befuddled as to what combination of highs and lows we will get this year. 
And, and you know, there might come a time this season where Nas feels really out of rhythm within mm-hmm. the style of which they're playing. And it's maybe you, he, I don't think there's a maybe about that. Yeah. I it's think probably going to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But J Mac low key could be like something oh. that re-inspires Nas. If you feel like you need that, you know, right. Absolutely. Like, Th- that, those two guys. I mean, if you talk about the most potent twosome, you know, the most potent undrafted twosome. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, also, Nas has remarkably, he's the opposite of Gobert in that if the ball is around his waist when he's on the move, it's perfect for him. Yeah. That pocket pass. I mean, Nas would have thrived with Jeff Teague. <laughs> <laughs> and and Delo was that way too. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. there's this different type of point guard. The the Delo Teague. Right. Uh, yeah, not Nas. Whereas Nas Jeff Teague played with Gobert, I mean, it would have been awful. Yeah, uh, Chris Paul and Gobert—it would be a monster. He's a great lobber, you know. A yep. great lobber, mm-hmm. you know. Gobert will thrive. Uh, last guy, Wendell Moore Jr. Uh, year two for Wendell Moore. He's twenty-two years old. Uh, only year two, but almost the exact same age as Anthony Edwards. He was their first-round pick uh, a year ago. Granted, a late first-round pick. He did not have a role on last season's team. Um, he doesn't. It doesn't seem like you will have a role on this year's team. Me, me and Jace talked about this a little bit yesterday because we found a way to talk about that fourth preseason game somehow for yeah, 15 yeah. minutes. And Wendell came up because he started, and I think he was probably the most highly drafted player on the floor in that game. Yeah, first-round pick. I think, yeah, he's the only guy who was a first-round pick who, who played in that game. And yet again, did not do anything to stand out in, in that performance, which has also been the case in his two summer league stints. Um, I understand that all is <laughs> those might not be, that's not a very big sample size, nor a very meaningful sample size, a couple summer leagues and a couple preseason games, but he's yet to, uh, he's yet to flash anything outside of that one game where he got started in a pinch and did a good job guarding John Morant. Hasn't had a ton of opportunity ton of opportunity, but also doesn't feel like he's done a, a lot to warrant um, opportunity. Well, that's the thing. When you say, yeah. you know, small sample size, well, whose fault is that? You know, I mean, the guy was draft- on a team that was decimated, was playing. I mean, how many total minutes did Bryn Forbes, Jalen Noel and Austin Rivers play last year? I mean, right. that, that right. has to be almost, I don't know, like 1300 minutes. Wendell didn't ever. Like there is an opportunity there to play guard on last season's team, and and he didn't take that. Sorry, I cut you the, off. The 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 statement people use who want to defend Wendell Moore is he gets better when he's around better personnel. Yeah, that's that what he, I say. He, he, he may he meshes, you know. Yeah. Um, and what I say to myself is, oh, so you know, he he's a stronger weak link, but also what that means is, um. He's got to be one of the top five players on the floor to be maximized effective. I mean, or he's got to be one of the top six or seven or eight. You're not going to throw your 10th man on the floor, and that's being very generous. I'd say he's about 17th right now, frankly. But you don't put them out there with your four or five best guys Mm -hmm. uh, because you will invite the other team to totally ignore all the things he can't do. And um, I'm on record, you know, on this, he'll be in good company. 
you know, I mean, I once said that Nas Reed probably should should get cut from the roster or something <laughs> or something like that. You know, I, but I, it isn't, you know, this isn't the death knell for somebody, but I, I don't think these should be resigned. Mm-hmm. I, I think that, uh, and I was talking about this with John Krasinski the other day, and John was arguing, you know, worst case scenario, he's like your 13th man and he's a good dude, practices hard, good in the locker room. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, and my argument again is, well, there's got to be somebody who's upside. Aren't you trying to develop somebody? I just don't know. In some ways, his temperament and his work ethic and all the things about him makes it worse because you know he's doing everything possible right now to be better. It isn't like he's not committing to the program. It isn't like he's not doing things. At the end of the day, I think he just simply is not good enough to play in the NBA. And I'm I'm reminded of something I told you. You told me to remember, and I'm just now remembering it, which is that what is what is uh Chris Finch's word when he likes a player? Fearless. He, call, he calls them fearless. Wendell Moore is fearful. Wendell Moore is fearful because he's smart. He knows that he doesn't have enough of the game to flash something that he needs to flash. So he doesn't do it. I mean, he doesn't, if he sees a little seam in the defense, he doesn't immediately take somebody off the dribble because he's not going to be able to finish there. Um, Or many, you know, pick your thing. It isn't that he's bad at anything. He's probably be, you know, he'd probably do pretty well in Iowa and he'll probably do well overseas if that's where he winds up. Um, But I just don't see the future in him. I mean, he reminds me of a lot of people who came and went on a lot of bad Wolves teams over the years. Uh, Guys that are now footnotes that, you know, if you mention somebody from like the 95 team, Mm -hmm. you you get a a chuckle from some old time. Oh yeah. I remember, you know, that guy, Andre Gubert or somebody, you know, (laughs) it's, uh, it's getting kind of Culvery, right? Yeah. You know, Although that, I will say that uh, Kovo is just such a terrible shooter, and also just a uh, also what I will say about Culver is, I think that the fact that he was a preacher's son from Lubbock, Texas, who stayed in town to star for his local college team, meant that I mean there is a way in which you need a little bit of cosmopolitan seasoning to fit into the NBA. And I think that that is something that was against Culver that Wendell Moore doesn't have to deal with. I I feel like Wendell Moore has a good sense of life around him and will not retreat to Mm -hmm. his roots. And he's uh, a way better shooter. That's that's a a good point. So you. I don't know about that. Um, Yeah. And then just the the last thing with Wendell, because this is time relevant, is uh, we're Coming up on it, right? Yeah, he's going to get signed. I I mean, everybody tells me, you know, anybody who knows anything about the Wolves, it'll be very, very surprising if he isn't signed. So, yeah, well, it's extremely rare that a first round pick doesn't get their third year option picked up. Um, 
that you know there, there's a there's a short list of that those are major busts that they don't and and that's because the options one so cheap you've invested in developing this player really the only guys who don't is guys on good teams who that team really val like just values that roster spot you know and like we're too good of a team to have a guy who's maybe not ready to NBA contribute and that's the question is are the wolves at that level it's not an expensive option on Wendell Moore Jr it's 2.5 million for next season um when a minimum is going to be like 2.2 million so it's not like a cap hit thing it's just do you want him on this on this do you want him to have one of the roster spots um, right. for for next season so they need to make that decision by October 31st for next year that's how it works on the right, let me ask the, you something since we're in guards right yeah okay you got to cut one you got to keep one Oh, Wendell Moore and Knicks. Oh, man, you know that I like Jason <laughs> Knicks. <laughs> I mean, Jason Knicks, you look at numbers and, I mean, a million turnovers in Houston didn't shoot the ball well. Um, I, I'm, I'm what, you know, I always say this for like the, a minimum level player, you need to show me one skill that uh -huh. is for sure an NBA skill. Um, I'm not sure I know what that is for Wendell Moore or Dacian Nix. Uh -huh. I, I think for Dacian Nix, it's probably being a true point guard in the sense of getting like J-Max style, effectively getting your team uh, into offense and also being able to guard uh, opposing ones. I, I think Dacian Nix has a chance to be able to do that, though I'm not stamping that as a for sure for sure no. NBA skill with him I just I don't know what it is for Wendell Moore Jr. like I don't even know what the leader in the locker room of his locker room is to to be or the clubhouse I always say that the clubhouse um for his top NBA skill or clear-cut NBA skill so yeah uh, honestly for me it, it, would, it would be the both toys cost 25 cents I'll take the shiny new one I'll take okay. this next. Yeah. All right. So again, I have nothing personally against Wendell Moore. I, you know, in fact, I've been impressed with what he did in Duke, where he he yeah. made himself into something. And his first summer league game, I raved about on Twitter because it was actually the highlight of what I've ever seen from him. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know at the time, and um, I he has put together at least a two-year NBA career, you know? So, um, you know, hats off to him in that respect. But if we're talking about, you know, this is a big boy league and you've got to help a team or fall off by mm -hmm. the by the wayside, um, I would cut my losses. I, I will say it would be really cool. It's one of those situations where clearly we're both, share mind on this and have a strong opinion on it. Um, it would be one of those situations where it'd be like kind of interesting to be wrong too. Like I'd be, oh, right. I'd be, I'd be interested to see the, you know, and, and I'm cheering for this for the kid, like that he does find a, a way and a path in the NBA and at least one clear cut NBA skill. I'm just saying like the interested person in me would be like, wait, you know, how, what did I miss there? You know, and, and what is it? Exactly. Be? So I, I would I'm prefer, cheering for that for him. I would prefer, I do remember when I'm wrong more than when I'm right. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's because it's more frequent. I don't know. But essentially, <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah. I want to 
remind myself for exactly that reason. The if you're right all the time, you begin to get uh, perhaps an overinflated sense of how much you know. Whereas if you're wrong, you get a, a sharpening. All right, I need to lean in a little harder on aspects. I mean, I know now that one of the things I don't like is somebody who um, just really stands out as a bad defender every now and then, uh, which is where a lot of my Nas problem came from and the falling down early. And also, you know, quite frankly, just um, there's a lot of flash in his game. Even in early on, you know, there was that, you know, aspect. Uh, and I just, it, I don't like more flash than substance. I'm not a Zach Levine guy, for example, you know, who's a terrible defender, always has been. Uh, I mean, he is. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, catch a, catch a mean place here in the Wendell Moore section. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess what I'm saying is that there are, there. I was also, as a result of that, though, I undervalued what Zach Levine could become, even with, you know, he has proven me right that he is a bad NBA defender, but I also thought he was totally lacking in court IQ on offense, which he was, but the fact that he couldn't play defense made me think he'll never get that much better on offense. In other sure. words, I was soured on the guy. Mm -hmm. And when you sour on people, you have a tendency to overlook things, you know? And so I would love to say, a year from now, I'm soured on Wendell Moore Jr. And the reason I what I, I missed his ability to be the middle guy in transition or to be somebody who's rediscovered, you know, a drive and kick game or you sure. found a way to be of value to the team. If that happens, I'm going to say I was wrong and, and point out why. Yeah, same. I, no, and I, 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 and I want that to happen. happen. I want yeah. that to happen. I actually just like personally in the interactions that I've had with I, like I I kind of I enjoy talking to him. like I enjoy talking to Wendell. It seems like a well, him and Minot are kind of like you know the Bobsy yeah. twins. You know? <laughs> um, okay, uh, last thing because I was thinking I, I a week from today, next Thursday, if that's when you're on next, there will all, already have been uh, a Wolves game, and I'm sure you'll probably put this in your uh, season preview. But do you want to just put a a win total and a seed guess prediction for. Well, I mean, uh, what I'm thinking of now um, is probably from 46 to 48 and fifth. <laughs> you know what I have it down right here? What? 47 and fifth. <laughs> <laughs> really? I, I, Interesting. It, See, and, I'm not going to show you my notes, but it's yeah. written out here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just and to be clear, that me, wasn't my guess for what you're. That might have been actually what my guess would have. But that is my uh my prediction. And also, and you you and I both know that, or maybe I'll just say it out loud. This is the hardest conference to pick from three to twelve that mm. I've ever seen. That I have yeah. ever seen. Um. Yeah. If the Wolves finish third or if the Wolves finish 12th, I will be surprised but not shocked. Right. You know, I mean, there are ways in which this team will have to be 
better than last year. If this, if last year's team played this year, from what I can see lining up, they would miss the play-in. Uh, they need to be better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a better conference. And on the other hand, what happens if the 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 graybeards in the Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors, all these teams, what happens if all those guys fall off? What happens if the injury bug hits the Suns? What happens if um, what we saw out of the uh, Sacramento and OKC doesn't translate? I mean, there's, there's questions all over the place. Um, what happens if Dylan Brooks gone for good and John Morant gone for 25 games does really ding the identity of the Grizzlies. What happens if losing Bruce Brown and uh, Jeff Green really does kill that second unit in Denver? Yeah. Oh, boy, we've lost Britt again. <laughs> right here at the, the end of the episode. But we do have Brits. I mean. Oh, there you go. You're back. You're back. You're back. I'm not editing. Oh, hey, I'm back. All right, good. Yeah, I did this other little circles and we went away too. Oh, you froze again. He's still there. All right, good. You're there. You're back. I'm there. I'm here. All right. Anyway, wrap us up. Uh, bottom line, I'm gonna call fifth because I think that they'll I think they'll avoid the play in. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they have fewer question marks. I think they have a deeper team than a lot of other teams that might be better than them, you know, in terms of sure proven identity and going along. I am saying this also saying that I do not think that the Gobert cat thing is going to work ever as well as anybody wants it to. I think they will overcompensate for that uh, with ways. And I, mean, I think they'll compensate for that in ways that are going to make it so that it won't be as much of an issue as it could be. Yeah. I, I think, I think what we're predicting is an expected value of this team, not an actual prediction. Does that make sense? Like, yes, it totally makes sense, and that's why I want to be, I want to be solidly pro, without being. I'm not gushing about this team. I actually was had more confidence in last year's team uh, because I didn't know how bad it was going to go until the first pre <laughs> the final preseason game. Yeah. But I mean, uh, and and that that fly around team, you know. Uh, that will always be, you know, dear to my heart. This isn't a team that I love, but this is a team that my head likes. Yeah. And and that's why and and 47 and 5 seed is giving praise. 47 is Absolutely. over. Yeah. 40, that is the over by a, a decent chunk. Right. And and to say the fifth in a low. And I, I would even, you know, put 48. And I gotta tell you that um Everybody I talked to, and, and did you read Hollinger? Hollinger I, has them tied for third. I, I, I haven't read it yet, but I saw it. was tied for fourth, right? Tied for third. Well, I mean, third, fourth uh, is a tie. Yeah. They and Phoenix are tied mm -hmm. for third, for the third best record behind Memphis and Denver. In fact, Hollinger, it kind of angered me because a lot of the things that Hollinger thinks, he doesn't like OKC, so that's there's that. But, I mean, about the Wolves, and in general – I find myself agreeing with him a lot and I can't stand it when I come to things independently and then somebody I respect 
comes to the same thing before I've had a chance to write it. You know. Well, you, you didn't seem too pissed about me having forty-seven and five as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's actually that's a little bit of a ratification. That's different. You've seen this team forever. Yeah, I'm just thinking yeah. a guy who parachutes in, you know. Right, right. Uh, right. You know, and just oh yeah. I mean, I mean, what he said. Uh, 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 and I know you want to wrap it up, but no. you will in a second. No, I don't care. But essentially, the. The Hollinger thing that made me jealous because I was going to write something very similar to this and probably still will, but now everybody at least will know that at least I'm saying that I'm not ripping it off. It's just something I also came to. He he mentioned that Anthony Edwards had the worst true, true shooting percentage on that World Cup team. Hmm. And I think that is a that is an interesting element of the whole Anthony Edwards experience that people have a tendency to downgrade is this idea that when you talk about Ant as a superstar, you are still talking about a guy with some significant flaws that have to be accounted for. It doesn't mean you'd like him less, but it does mean that if you're honestly evaluating a team, you have to understand how are they going to either compensate for this or, fold this into the package. And, and that's, you know, one of, one of the things I, I would say that goes triple for Gobert and even for cat double for cat. So, you know what? That just, it just reminds me of Brit. Like we get the like outlandish MJ comps for ant all the time. And I'm like, yeah. why, why isn't the Kobe? Why isn't it Kobe? I think I like from a much more Kobe than MJ. Yeah, from just like a and, and obviously so to such high bars, but like just the archetype of the the player in the the great things he does. I mean, Kobe as a defender too is an elite defender in the way that, when but also a like, challenge to great defender. Yes, and 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 then it's the it's the perhaps over reliance. Uh, I mean, that was the whole narrative around Kobe is like analytics are burbling up there at the end of his career when he's the best player and some people are like oh well hold on like the true yeah. shooting percentage blah 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 the nerdy stuff that's overblown and all that because when you're in that role like you need to take on more it's just it always it always strikes me as if we're making outlandish comparisons to draw to connect the dot I, my head goes to kobe more than, than and I, if you go to the basketball reference page one of the things i kind of like about it uh for each team they give you a photo of the top career war of yeah. everybody from one to like 12. Ant's not on that list. Cat is second to KG. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, that, that is a fallacy of analytics. So you can't mm. put a sticker on a number and say, there it is. Uh, and, and, and obviously is one of the best 12 best players in franchise history. No yeah. questions asked. Yeah. Yeah. But, <laughs> Uh -huh. There are some analytics things that point to flaws that are there. And, 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 and I wouldn't even call them flaws. I would just call it low-hanging fruit. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if, yeah, that's the positive way to look at it. Yeah, right? it is the positive way to look at it. But at, at 22, I think right. he deserves that, you know, that benefit of the doubt. And he's growing up in a very different time in the NBA where the coaches – are trying to trim that fat or pick that fruit, yep. however you want to say yep. it, in ways that didn't happen in the 90s with Michael and didn't happen in the early 2000s with Kobe. Like, Ant should have a more efficient blueprint uh, right. of play, which 
I think analytically that's going to make things come around, but he's going to have to learn that. And that's going to be growth. And at 22, like, sure. He's, he's still, he's still figuring that out and still great. a player. And, that, and two, yeah. two great quotes, Chris Finch on Anthony Edwards, you know, a perfect blend of confidence and coachability. Love it. And Anthony Edwards on Chris Finch. I fuck with Finchie. Right? <laughs> Which means, you know, he's my guy. You know? yeah, 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 and yeah, so, you know, you can't, you know, when your head coach and your star player are sincerely praising each other in absolutely the right lexicon for their idea of praise. Yeah. Then, you know, you're living well. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's an ideal spot to be in. When uh, when can we expect the season preview? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to turn it in on Monday, and so they'll either run it NBA opener day Tuesday or Wolves opener day Wednesday. Sweet. Um, that's crazy that next time we do a pod, the season will have been started. Yep, and yeah. we'll maybe be we'll either be talking about uh, Toronto or Miami. You know, yeah. oh. be I, I bet you we talk about both. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he's Britt Robson. Follow him on Twitter at Britt Robson. Um, and again, if if you enjoyed this episode, I mean, me and Britt have done a lot of episodes over the past four or six weeks. But specifically, we did something similar with the wings and similar with the bigs. So check that out uh, back in your in your feed. Uh, until tomorrow with Kyle. He's Britt. I'm Dane. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah